Animal Fire Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to the National Fire Radio podcast, a podcast that is designed to talk about the job. I'm the luckiest guy alive. I get to interview the coolest people out there in the American Fire Service and talk about the job. Everything from guys riding backwards, officers, chiefs, up through companies, people, manufacturers, products, organizations, you name it. We're trying to capture the stories to promote the job and make the job better. So if you're returning and you're a regular listener, thank you. If you're new to the podcast, check it out and let us know what you think. Podcast at nationalfireradio.com is where you can find us. Send us an email. Let us know what you think about the show, people that you think might be a good guest, or anything else that you want to talk about. Send it over to podcast at nationalfireradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. And what we get to do is bring forth the word about the job. But in order to do that, we need the help of some sponsors. So do me a favor, hang tight, and listen to the words from a few of our sponsors. This episode's brought to you by Box Alarm Grills. When your apparatus arrives on scene, are you making the best showing? Looking to set your rig apart from everyone else? Want your engine, truck, or rescue to be easily identifiable? There is a solution. With large aluminum grill numbers and full-width rear mud flaps from Box Alarm Grills. Formed by Danny and a team of fellow firefighters, Box Alarm Grills gets it. They know what it means to show pride in your ride, delivering the quality construction and design that fire departments demand. That's why their grill numbers and mud flaps grab attention, enhance visibility, and make your fleet recognizable on scene while responding or just driving around town. Built in the USA by a family-owned business, Box Alarm Grills is quickly becoming the choice of fire companies, apparatus planners, and fire truck manufacturers with out-of-the-box or custom solutions. Check out functional, durable grill numbers and mud flaps from Box Alarm Grills today at BoxAlarmGrills.com and on Facebook and Instagram. And like Danny and his crew like to say, add pride to your ride. Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his team have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017 with over 200,000 shields in the market. Taylor's Tins is a leader in the American Fire Service helmet front space. Not only do they manufacture helmet fronts, but they do so much more. Locker tags, key chains, CO monitor charts, medical kit charts, pump charts, banquet awards, you name it, they do it. Go over to taylorstins.com and check out what they can offer you today. They've become a longtime sponsor and good friend of the National Fire Radio podcast. And because of that, they offer a promo code at checkout. So when you go to taylorstins.com, enter NFR sent me, that is NFR sent me, and you'll get 15% off your checked out order. It works on all stock items from taylorstins.com, including quick tins, license plates, locker tags, and much, much more. Exclusions do apply. This is a company that prides themselves on quality and customer service. From the inception, from your design to out the door, it's within 48 hours. Nobody else is doing that. They can't do that. 48 hours to get your shield out the door to you to put it on your helmet and get to the next job. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com. Again, that's taylorstins.com. Check out their latest offerings and use promo code NFR sent me. That's NFR sent me for 15% off on your checkout. And in the words of Taylor and his crew, stop burning up leather. Hey everyone, Jeremy National Fire Radio. Welcome back to the National Fire Radio podcast. Today is going to be a fun episode. I met this fella at the Joey D. Uh, conference out in Long Island this past November. The guy is a West Coast. This is this is the left coast. This is so opposite and different from what we know, yet tactically very similar to the East Coast, and we're going to dive in on that. This is Steve McLean out of Sacramento, California, 20 years in the fire service, eight years with the city of Sacramento. Steve, thanks for joining me, brother. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this, man. I mean, let me let so let's unpack this a little bit. I met you at Joey D, and I met you through uh, a very good mutual friend of both of ours, Bobby Eckert. So you're part of the Eckert Fire Tactics team. We met, and I, I Bobby always referred to you as West Coast Steve. 
So you yeah. you happened to be out for that um for that uh, weekend, and it was nice to meet you. And you and I literally dove right in and started talking about truck companies. We talked about tower ladders, which I want to bring up too. We didn't talk about that in the pre-interview here, but I want to talk about the tower ladder culture because it. You know, I asked you why California doesn't really use a lot of tower ladders, so I want to hit on that. Um, but brother, thank you for joining me today, man. I'm excited to kind of hear about your story and get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, thanks to ha- for having me. Um... Let's see, started in the fire service in 2003 with a uh, small fire department in Northern California. Did 11 years there and then uh, tried to get into a little bigger, a little faster paced organization. Came on with Sacramento in 14 and uh, the rest is history. Were you looking for more? Yeah, man. I mean, um, when I came into the job, it was, it's kind of funny how I came into the job. I, I don't have any family or anything like that. I just... Uh, I was a real, I was actually a really rough kid, man. I, I didn't, I wasn't doing good things. And, uh, so my family owns a restaurant and, uh, a bunch of the drill instructors from the college Academy that's close to it would come in for lunch. And, uh, my mom was talking to them and, uh, they said, she said, Hey, uh, tell me about the fire service. I got this son. He's a loser. And (laughs) I'd like to figure out something for him to do. And, uh, so one of the battalion chiefs at the local fire department goes hey man send him to the firehouse for 24 hours we'll straighten him out and uh so did a little 24-hour ride along with uh, the yuba city fire department and uh the rest is history man i was hooked no kidding yep joined the fire academy uh right after that uh went through it got on as a paid call guy then got on as a seasonal did a couple years with cdf in between my time on my other department and then uh full time and then to Sacramento, man. And, uh, but the whole time I was kind of going through this thing, I always knew I wanted to be in a, in a busy urban organization. And, you know, so Sac was a really good spot for that. Yeah. And, and Sacramento's a fire town, right? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a good, it's a large enough city with multiple companies, which allows for more opportunity, I should say. Yeah. I mean, we got, um, it's about, 600,000 people in Sacramento in the city, you know, residents or whatever. And it swells to like a million during the day. And then we got, uh, 24 houses, 24 engines, nine trucks, a rescue. We do run a fire department ambulance. So we have 18 ambulances and, uh, we got about, uh, 650 guys and we staff about 200 per day on duty. So it's a good size department, plenty of opportunity. We got a little bit of everything too. No. Yeah, yeah. So we got a, a USAR team, rescue, hazmat, boat, uh, wildland, um, you know, training. I mean, anything you want to get into, uh, SAC's kind of involved with it. Uh, it's the oldest fire department west of the Mississippi River, so that's kind of a cool oh, no little kidding. stat for you there. Yeah, that is um, cool. Yeah, established in 1850. So, yeah, it's been around a long time. We take a lot of pride and uh, – you know, we do, we do a fair amount of fire duty and, uh, we, uh, we pride ourselves on doing a good job on that. So. Yeah. So talk to me when you came over, right? I mean, eight years ago, you came over, you had a little, you had some background behind you with a, with a smaller department. And when you came over, was the, was the urban department that you were yawning for or, 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 or looking for, did it deliver? Did it give you what you were looking for? Yeah. So like what I noticed first was, um, in our Academy, we have a, a just a brutal fire academy um really well known in the region and in the state of just being absolutely brutal and um (laughs) there's a lot of good reasons for that but but one thing i i'll tell you about it is i the thing i remember the most is how specific the instructors were on every single technique how how they had broken it down to the finest minute detail yeah and you could tell because it was experience based street stuff you know it wasn't like um you know, somebody read it from a book or yeah, took a class box. from somebody. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Like they, they were telling you how to do it because they had done it in the street. And I just remember being really kind of enamored by that because I'd never been taught like that before. And so when these guys spoke, you knew that they, they were coming with some, some actual experience, not just, you know, not just something that they heard or read or whatever, you know? Yeah. And I guess getting on to in Sacramento with a department of that size, it gives you an opportunity to have a nice proby class. I would assume that. So you probably came on with a class. Yeah. Yeah. Where was, uh, I think we started with like 26 and we graduated 19 
And I think there's probably 15 of us left in, in my class. Um, you know, but when I was a drill instructor, uh, we, uh, the first class I taught was 48 and the second class I taught was 53. So wow. we, okay. we normally range between 60 and, and, and 25 normally, I would say. Oh, okay. All right. So various. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty wild. So I want to get to the drill instructor part, but I want to I want to come up through your career a little bit first before we get there. So you get in, you go through the academy, you're enamored by the way they're teaching, the teaching style. You recognize because you have experience that this is experience based teaching, right? The academy and that this city provided the experience to those drill instructors to set you on the right path. So outside of the academy, where did you end up? Did you end up in a busy house? Uh, yeah. So, uh, so essentially we graduated uh, the fire academy and then they held us over for two weeks to do like a rescue systems class and a laro class so you were out of the academy but still assigned into the training division and during my time in that um we had a major incident in our department we had a near miss we had a firefighter go through the floor into a basement mm. and it gets severely burned and i remember uh during that time you know for coming from my old department uh, nobody had ever been seriously injured, you right. know, guys had bumps and bruises or whatever, you know, but like, and I remember thinking immediately, like, even before I hit the streets, like, wow, this is, this is real. Like, yeah. this is, this is no joke. And so, uh, my first house was the house that that guy had was the same engine. Oh, so okay. that was, gotcha. yeah. So my first, uh, rotation, um, they took me cause it was a week later. They took me over to that house. They explained what happened. Cause essentially the crew was there. And, uh, you know, I just remember thinking, oh, you know, we got to take this seriously. So, yeah, I, uh, I went to a pretty good engine right out of, uh, right out of recruit school, went to engine six, which is a pretty well-known engine in my fire, uh, department. And then, um, went to, uh, a, a medic, but who cares about that? And, uh, so did uh, engine six, engine 15 and truck 17 on probation. We do three different uh station tours at four months at a time right so you rotate through and then from there do you get the pick or how does that work so um this is gonna sound real convoluted but uh <laughs> it always is it's yeah. never so, easy man no so when you when you get done with probation you you become what they call a detail firefighter so essentially you fill vacancies right but a station can do what they call prefer you so um, it, it, admit, it essentially means that they have a, a vacancy and that they want you to stay there. You're not assigned to that firehouse, but you're just, if there's an opening, you go to that opening. Yeah. So, um, I finished my probation at truck 17 and, uh, me and the crew just really hit it off there and I had a great time. And, and, uh, so when I got on probation, they preferred me into 17s. And so, I did the first like year off probation, essentially detailing onto the truck, which was an amazing experience. And then, uh, when that spot, uh, ended up getting filled, I, uh, went over and detailed to the engine for a while Okay. and then ended up getting assigned to the engine at three years, which is a very short time for my department. And normally it used to take five, six, seven, eight years to get assigned. Oh, is that right? Wow. Yeah. And I got it with three and then, uh, and then I did two years assigned to engine 17 and then I slid across the floor to truck 17. Got it. Yeah. What'd you enjoy more? What do you enjoy uh, more? Well, okay. So the full story is I left truck 17 last February and went to, to an engine in the South area in battalion two at engine 56. And I, I love them both. Um, I, I will say the best seat in the house is the nozzle seat. There's just no, there's yeah. nothing that compares to a nozzle fireman. Um, but the nice thing about the truck is it doesn't really matter where you land in the order. You're always getting work. Yes. So if you're on an engine and you're second due and it's a bread and butter fire, you know, you're going to sit on the yard with a hose and, and then that you're going to pack, pack it up and get out of there where you could, you know, you could land third with in a truck and you're still going to go, you know, do what you got to do. And you're still going to be in there, you know, getting work. So I would say that's the differences, um, you know, if you're first on scene every time, the engine's the spot. But if you uh, if you're not, the truck's pretty good too. So yeah, no, I get that. It makes sense, and especially from your culture too. Because what I find really interesting is um, the the 
I don't want to do this East Coast, West Coast thing, but there are some differences within the styles of firefighting within the United States, obviously. And in East Coast and West Coast sometimes have some style differences in just how they operate, even even everything from how they look, how they perform, how they how they work the fire ground and so on. But you guys, there's an East Coast influence, right? You mentioned about Sacramento. Yeah, so um, there's a lot of some books out there um, that really talk about when these fire departments, the first fire departments on the West Coast were founded, they were actually, um, they would actually bring over East Coast firefighters to essentially found these fire departments and then teach them how to fight fires. So um, the Northern California region was the first region founded in California because of the gold rush era. Yeah. And so, um, so when Sacramento and San Francisco and Stockton and fire departments like that were founded, they were essentially brought up by members from, you know, fire departments of, you know, Philadelphia, New York, and, and actually their original uniforms will mimic some of those same uniforms that they wore back East. Um, it's funny cause when we talk tactics, when I'm working for Bobby, um, I, I think the biggest difference is, is just the, the building construction. Yeah. You know, the, the, the building construction is, um, what's going to really uh, dictate your tactics, you know? So I think if you were to look at like a San Francisco fire department, you know, they're going to be way more close to San Francisco or uh, a New York style because they're, that's a vertical city. Right. Where in Sacramento, you know, we got a little more urban sprawl. So, um, you know, we just operate a little differently. Yeah. And the way you put it before to me too, was that, you know, it's not, it's, it's more common to throw a 14 foot roof to get to the roof than to use the aerial ladder or device off the truck itself. Yeah, I mean, especially here in the valley, you know, because you know we we do a lot of one and two story. Um, we don't have snow here, so the pitches are four twelve, six twelve, stuff yeah. like that. So, you know, I mean, it's just it's just a different um, it's a different environment, and so we operate in a fashion that we feel is you know successful for us. Well, you know, so sure. yeah, I mean, we could essentially get off the ladder, walk up the roof, take the chainsaw, and cut the hole, and a minute, you know, we're not throwing a roof ladder and then, you know, having to stick a, a you know, a halligan into the roof for a step or anything like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, so that goes then hand in hand with the conversation of riding assignments. And that's something you and I were talking about. And, and I wanted to dive down that hole a little bit because you guys have a pretty structured uh, layout and how you operate from the engine and the truck and the, and its positions. And uh, the truck is pretty unique in regards to the the three different categories you have and how you guys operate. Maybe you could dive down that hole a little bit with me and educate me about how you guys do that in uh, in Sacramento. Yeah, so um, we we kind of really rely on our riding positions, and and that's something that we drill on quite a bit. And everybody kind of knows what the plan is long before they even get on the truck. So when they arrive, the captain calls the play, and then. And then everybody kind of goes about what they need to be doing. So um, we ride four on the truck and four on the engine. And essentially the seats go as such as the captain. And then the fireman behind him is what we call the tools fireman. And then the AO, which is the driver, apparatus operator. And then the guy behind him is the saw fireman. Mm. So um, depending on the, the play that the captain calls, and, and he has three options. So he either says all in, which means all four of the firefighters are going in for primary search. He says all out, which means all four are going to the roof for ventilation. Or he could say split, which is two up to the roof and two interior. And depending on what they see and what they have on arrival is going to depend on what that captain calls at that time. But when you get off the rig, after, you know, after the, the captain's kind of set his play, you, you really have an understanding of what tools you need to grab and what sure. your assignment's going to be. Yeah. And the captain's allowed to, the captain makes that decision himself. I mean, he's not to, he's not told coming in as to how he's going to perform. So he's he's allowed to make that audible call on arrival de- depending upon construction and and uh and fire progress and so on. Yeah, absolutely. So like let's say, you know, we got a two-story um residential with fire on the first floor. He's he's probably going to go all in on that fire because we're not going to ventilate, you know, uh on the top side for a fire on the first floor, you know, so he gets to make that call when he arrives. Our chiefs uh, have a lot of confidence in our, in our truck captains and our engine captains to make those calls. Um, They do a pretty good job of just staying off the radio and just, you know, monitoring where guys are and the times and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, so they, they make that call and they decide and, and it, 
if we have the opportunity, we're always going inside for search. And I would say that's something very different in Northern California than what I know of Southern California. My friends that work down there is like, uh, their trucks are more exterior. They do a lot of outside work, a lot of vent, a lot of softening the building, utility, stuff like that, where uh, our trucks are more interior oriented. They want to get in. They want to make the primary search and, and do what they can. Yeah. No, I get that. And I've seen that, you know. But So I like the positions and I like that the the uh, the game plan, right? Because what that does then is what? It sets everything in motion and everybody knows where they need to be and when they need to be there, right? And so I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. So like, you know, we always say like, <laughs> we're, we're like pit bulls on leashes. And as soon as that parking break, it's like, you know, you're letting us off the leash. And, and so as soon as the parking break, you know, the doors fly open and, and everybody's moving with a purpose. Um, you know, the engines are obviously a little faster than the ladders. So um, the ladders normally are, are arriving second. And so they'll normally have the backup firemen from the engine up trying to force the door. Well, it's kind of like who can get that door first. So right. the, the tools fireman's running up there, and it, and it's pretty good. Most guys understand once the truck arrives on scene, the engine guys will kind of go back to doing engine things, and the truck will take over that position. Um, you know, and everybody if everybody just accomplishes their job, then every job gets accomplished. You know, yeah. and as long as you're not trying to overextend, um, things get done. You yeah. Know, so. so what, what's the, uh, what's the order then? What's it four and two with a rescue for, for a confirmed structural fire for residential or what, what do you get on the, on the initial? Yeah. So we get four and two, two chiefs and a medic. Um, we don't put the, the rescue operates as a truck company. So it is a rescue company. It's a heavy rescue right. type heavy rescue, but when they are, they don't get, uh, they don't get to put on every box. And uh, they they just when they are, when they get a box, it's they just operate as a truck company. So they work within their their area. Then they're not going outside of their you know first, second, third, fourth, through whatever area. They're not citywide, if you will. Okay. No, they are not. Not unless it's special call for them. And uh, the funny thing about Sacramento is it's ninety one square miles. It's it's oh, a wow. you know yeah. So with only one rescue, like they it was proposed to those guys, and I guess at one time they kind of did that. And it was like, you know, they were, they were spinning a lot of U-turns. And so they were like, this is bullshit. Excuse of, my language. No, so, no, man. That's a, that's a long, that's a long tour. I mean, if you're yeah. turning out for everything and getting returned, I mean, it's, yeah, I get that. Yeah. I mean, we, we probably get, you know, on an average, we probably get five working fire tones a day, you know? So, I mean, that's a lot of turning out for those guys to get turned around and, you know, even on a, even on a bread and butter house fire, they're not going to get used. So, you know, like yeah. it would just be turned around for them. So. And I, I have to think too, knowing that area of California, I mean, I don't know it well, but I've been to Sacramento. I've been North of, you know, San Francisco and all that. Like I kind of understand the terrain and so on, but it's pretty diverse, right? I mean, you guys have everything from urban, uh, an urban setting to, you know, uh, rural, areas no yeah so um in the city of sacramento it, it's we, it's for the most part it's urban okay so the downtown you know high rises right. um taxpayers victorians uh what we call high water high water bungalow which is essentially like a single story vic um and then when you get out further it's just um you know a little more uh residential but the thing about california that makes it kind of funny is um you know, it's sidewalks, then right off the sidewalk is a wrought iron or chain link gate, you know, and then normally they'll have a wrought iron fence on the porch and then they'll have a security door and then the, and then the actual house door. Yeah. So there, there's three or four forcible entry issues before you even can even make it to the front door. So like a lot of our stretches are, are kind of determined by that, um, aspect of what we deal with, you know, so, um, and, and, the, and where and I the engines oh, God, do, no, I was going to say, but the engine's doing some of that work for you, right? Because the engine's getting there and stretching probably before the truck's arriving, right? For the most part. So, yeah, yeah. The, so, so the engine takes care of their own entry? Well, I mean, as much as they can, right, you know, right, like right. It, mm -hmm. a lot of these places will have case hardened locks and stuff like that. So it's a Cirque saw job if they get there, you know, but I mean, as a, as an engine guy, a formal you know, formerly a truck guy, I, I try to get through everything I can long before the truck ever arrives. You know, I mean, <laughs> I we, we, we popped the door with a, a set of irons the other day and canceled the truck on an extrication. So, you know, Outstanding. like <laughs> Outstanding. There you go. Making friends, Steve, making friends. Always. Yeah. Always. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, that's fun, man, because it gives you a lot of opportunity then. Right. And is that what then pushed you 
into the training aspect of it? I mean, you mentioned being a drill sergeant, drill instructor. You said that your days in the academy when you were coming up through the, the system in Sacramento were really influential to you in seeing how those guys were teaching from experience, from, you know, from an experience point of view. I mean, is that what pushes you to do better? Because, like, I met you through Bobby, which is a training company on the East Coast, and yet you are a part of their cadre. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anderson Rescue Solutions. Anderson Rescue Solutions was founded in 2016 by former Philadelphia firefighter Tim Anderson. As an urban firefighter and rescue specialist, Tim found that the equipment available to him lacked the usability and practicality in complex high-stress environments that rescuers often found themselves in. To combat this, he developed products based on his own experiences in the field, creating innovative, efficient gear designed to thrive in reality. The Multi-Loop Rescue Strap is a perfect example of one of these products. Made in America, this patented tool is used for rapidly harnessing firefighters or civilians in the worst conditions. Every feature is fine-tuned to meet the needs of rescuers battling low visibility, low dexterity, and high stress. The Multi-Loop Rescue Strap has been used in numerous real-world rescues for both firefighters and civilians all across the country, and it is being increasingly adopted by fire, rescue, and tactical agencies as standard issue equipment. I carry one. I have carried one for many years. It is the most versatile strap out there. Check it out. The Multi-Loop Rescue Strap by Anderson Rescue Solutions. Tim Anderson, the owner and proprietor of Anderson Rescue Solutions, has become a dear friend. In fact, he's even been on the podcast several episodes ago. Dropped incredible information. He's super passionate about the fire service, about special operations, and he has built an incredible company, an incredible product. So because of our great relationship with Tim and Anderson Rescue Solutions, if you go to andersonrescue.com, you'll get 10% off if you use the promo code NFR2023. That's NFR2023 at checkout on andersonrescue.com. You'll get 10% off your order. And do me a favor, go over to their social media and check out Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for weekly news, product info, and other content in regards to Anderson Rescue Solutions. This episode's brought to you by Flame Decon. Developed specifically for firefighter decon, Flame shampoo, body wash, and soaps reduce your risk of getting occupational cancer. Live fire testing shows that carcinogens on your skin after a fire are removed and undetectable after using Flame. Flame Decon has made a product that not only does its job and does it well, but that you'll enjoy using. They smell amazing. They make your skin and hair feel great. I will be an absolute witness to that. I have used the product. Tara and I have known each other for quite some time. She has sent us product. We have used it, and it does take that smell of soot and smoke off of you immediately following a shower. It makes a difference. You can find Flame Decon products at flamedecon.com and use promo code NFR for 15% off your first order. That's promo code NFR for 15% off your first order at flamedecon.com. And for departments that are interested in departmental orders, more than one or two pieces of product, you can reach out to Tara directly at Tara at flamedecon.com. She's happy to entertain any inquiries that you have. And this made me think departments need to protect their own and protecting our own is also after the fire. Chiefs, purchasing managers, look into Flame Decon as a way of protecting our firefighters in and out of the firehouse. So check out Flame Decon at flamedecon.com. Use promo code NFR for 15% off your first order. So I'm just curious, like, where does where does your love for training come from? Oh, man, that's a good question. I had a, um, I had a fire very early in my career that was... Uh, I would say a change, a, a big change for me, a, um, mm. I don't even know what you would call it, a, a life-changing fire, I guess there was, um, there was some bad things that happened and, and, uh, unfortunately uh, my personal opinion, a civilian paid the price for it. Yeah. And, um, and I remember from that day, I was like, I'm never not going to know kind of what I need to know to get the job done. And, um, so when I went through Sachs Academy, I just remember like, 
I remember when, as soon as I left there, I was like, I want to be a drill instructor because my drill instructors made me want to be a better fireman. They made me really want to be the best I could be and, and get as much knowledge as I could. And so when I left there, I wanted to, you know, have that same kind of effect on the future of this organization. And, uh, our, our drill instructors used to have this, um, saying on the back of their hats and it said true believers. And I just remember thinking like, that's, that's pretty badass, man. These guys really believe in what they're doing and, and trying to carry on the, the traditions of this organization. And so, um, so yeah, so I, I applied cause it's a, you have to apply, you have to interview. It's a whole thing. And, uh, I got the spot and I got the spot with right at five years, which they normally like a little more time than that, but I had been teaching at the college level and kind of been involved with our fire setting program and stuff like that. So they knew who I was and they knew I was engaged. So sure. they gave me an opportunity and uh, I got to teach for uh, class 19-1 and 19-2. And it's a 24-week academy. And like I said, it's it's brutal. We're, we're hard on our recruits, um, but it's for a good reason. You know, we, we, uh, we push them to show them what they have and what they actually can do out there when, when it's time to uh, really get going. So. I think that's so important to push our people, right? I mean, they they have to understand that what they think is their limit, they can go beyond that. And it takes um, it takes a talented staff and people and mentorship in a in a good, safe environment that allows for people to excel. Uh, it's it's kind of cool because I think each staff, each academy staff, is kind of just growing off the previous academy staff this this program has been in place for you know 20 years mm -hmm. and um so and and the nice part about it is most of our really high up staff chiefs came through the training division so they understand what the processes of of this you know this academy they understand the the you know what this kind of product this puts out so when we're you know when we're working these recruits really hard and you know um if they get some complaints or something they they understand that it's it's for the betterment of the organization for the next 30 years that these people understand that um you know that you have more to give inside even when you think you don't have more to give i get it and i get it. and so one of the crazy things is um we did an after action review on that fire i was talking about when um that member fell through the floor right and got burned mm -hmm. and when they interviewed him, you know, one of the things he talked about was he just remembers his time in the Academy and then like telling him, Hey, one more thing, one more thing. And, you know, that's what kept him going to be able to hook himself onto an attic ladder and then pull him out of the basement. What do you mean? You one know? more thing, one more thing. What do you mean by that? Ex explain that. So one of the things that we kind of do in the Academy is, you know, we'll, we'll give them a workout or we'll give them a, a, um, you know, something to do. And then when they think they're done, we always kind of give them, you know, Hey, one more thing, Got it. you know, one, one last evolution. So, you know, Hey, we're going to, um, one of the big kind of marquee workouts we do is that we go to Sac state college and we hike their stadium up and down all the way around. It's a big horseshoe. And, um, then we, when we're done with that horseshoe, we get to the end everybody's kind of cheering and happy and, and all, you know, jovial about it. Cause you know, you just worked your butt off and then we go, all right, we're going back. And yeah. we hike the whole thing back around. Jeez. And uh, you know, it's just one of those things yeah. where yeah. you, you got to know that um, when this, when it's getting hard, you can, you got more inside. So. Yeah. Well, we can't have quitters, man. I mean, we can't have people on the street that are doing this job, deciding that they just can't do it. Can't do no, it. I, and it's, it's about, you know, it's about doing the right thing all the time, which 100%. is one of my favorite quotes is a Vince Lombardi quote. It's, uh, you know, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And, you know, when we work 48 hour, 48 hour tours, and when you're on your 40th hour and you've been up for all 40 of them and, you know, and you got a patient who's giving you some lip, you know, and, and you have to be, you have to keep your composure. You got to do the right thing. And, you know, I hate to talk EMS, but that's, you know, or you go to a, a fire and you don't want to pull that wall apart because you're tired, you know, but you got to pull that wall apart to make yeah. sure there's no extension into it. You know what I mean? So doing the right thing is doing the right thing. And it's, yes, a, sir. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Steve. So where, where did the, 
Then training itself, I mean, you you obviously enjoy it. You enjoy the ability to give back and to push and promote your people. You pursue it yourself. So I'm assuming outside of the job, you were looking for alternatives as well to better yourself. Yeah, so um, that's exactly how I met Bobby. So So explain, explain that, yeah. Bobby and Greco came out to California for a fourth century class. And a good buddy of mine, uh, Matty Lou, um, he'd been following Bobby for a long time on Instagram. And I, I really didn't know who he was. Um, he goes, Hey man, we gotta go. We gotta go to this guy's four century class. He's, you know, check his Instagram page out. And, you know, because there's been, you know, being in the fire service for 20 years, I I've seen some, some changes, you know, where, it was uh, when I first came on the job, it was, you know, the, the guy you wanted to be like was the tough guy, you know, the guy who could take, you know, could just get his ass kicked the hardest and keep going. Right. And then it went to, you know, hey, us first. I remember hearing that, you know, firefighter safety first. Like if we don't, if we're not safe, then we can't save other people. And I, I remember thinking that doesn't, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, like we're here for them. And then, uh, so and then I, you know, start, started reading Bobby's uh, stuff, and uh, he was more aligned with what I was into, you know, aggressive fire tactics and being smart and educated. So uh, so we go to this fourth century class, and we're kind of going through it. And then at, after Bobby did a little lecture thing, and then after, of course, you know, we have some uh, cold beverages and, and shoot the shit. Yeah. And so uh, I was sitting down with Bobby and his lovely wife, Bren, and for like three hours, we just chatted it up, talked fire tactics, talked training, talked everything, just drinking beers, laughing, having a good time, you know, kind of giving our philosophy on the fire service. And uh, he just said, hey, man, you want a job? Nice. And uh, I, I go, I got to talk to my wife. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm involved in a lot of things, and I got two small kids right now. <laughs> and uh, so I came home and. He goes, well, run it by your wife and get back to me. And I said, okay. And so I came home and I asked my uh, lovely wife and I couldn't do anything, any of this without her. And yeah. Jessica said, you know what? That's a great opportunity. You should do that. So uh, I called Bobby and said, hey, man, I'm in. And he goes, all right, come on out to Bergenfield. And uh, Bergenfield, New Jersey was the first uh, taken into the streets I did. Yeah. What is uh, what does that do for you, man? I mean, I know that group really well. I've done a lot of uh, events with them, and I've gotten to know many of them pretty well, and so on. What does that do for you when you when you can get away and and literally fly across the country? Right, the dedication that you put in to do this is pretty hardcore, right? Because this isn't around the corner. So you're flying across the country, you're lugging all your crap with you. And then you come into town, and then you get to hang with great guys that love firefighting. What does that do for you? Well, so I got a, I got a buddy uh, that is a mentor of mine, Eric Hankins. I'm sure you probably know who he I, is. I was going to ask you, when you said Uber City, I was like, oh, man. I had no yeah. idea you guys were friends. I literally, oh, yeah. oh, man, I love Eric. Anyway, he's going to – yep, go ahead. Oh, I'm so, so happy so right I, now. So Eric uh, has been traveling and teaching for a long time. And so, um, I, you know, we, we run around pretty tight. And so I, I knew what he did and I always kind of had an interest in kind of going that route, but you know, I, I don't know. I just maybe thought it wasn't for me. It, you know, I kind of given up on it. And so, uh, when I got the call to go out to Bergenfield, um, you know, I was, I was super excited to do that and kind of check that whole thing out. And so the first person I called was Eric and I go, Hey man, tell me about Ecker fire taxes. Cause I don't know a lot about them. And he goes, oh, Bobby's good, man. He's he's got a lot of people. He's doing a lot of good things, and and I think you're gonna be you're gonna fit in well. And so I fly out, and the only guy I know is Bobby and Greco. I right. mean, you right. know, so like, and there's a whole cast of characters in this <laughs> in this Ecker fire tactic. Sure you know? is. So I'm not I'm not at Bergenfield for you know five minutes before uh, Jay Urban starts breaking my shoes about being from California and Hello. and you know and and. Uh, I'll tell you the first guy who was, I mean, just amazing was, uh, uh, Jack Dewan. Yep. Uh, I mean, he, the nicest guy I think I've ever met, just a a true gentleman came up, uh, Hey man, help me do this. Help me do that. And then I was just amazed on what Bobby could do with pallets and OSB and, uh, you know, plastic paper and all sorts of stuff like that. I was, I was amazed. And he's telling me this plan and I'm like, 
looking at this training facility going, how are you going to put this thing together? You know, and, and, uh, and then it did, it came together. And so we go out and I'm meeting all the guys and, and I'm just listening to the, the pedigrees of some of these guys. And I'm like, wow, I'm i I'm really overshadowed here. And so, uh, we're, we're doing a, some training and, uh, we're, they put me on the force entry prop. And so I'm teaching right next to Paul Hogzima who works for the FDNY. Yep. And so at the time he hadn't been, he hadn't been promoted yet. So he was still working on the rescue. So he, we're talking and I, I kind of make a joke to the, to the students. I go, Hey, you know, I go, I'm Steve. I'm from Sac city truck 17. I know, you know, this is Paul. He works in some place. I don't know, on some rescue somewhere. Don't worry about it. You know? And I kind of just made a joke of it. And, uh, and he, you know, Paul kind of grabbed me and he goes, Hey man, he goes, doors force the same way in Sacramento as they do in New York. He goes, don't, don't take away from your experience like that. And I just remember at that moment thinking, you know what, I can, I can hang with these guys. I can run with them. And, uh, and from then on out, man, it's just been, it's been gangbusters. It's been great. That sums it up, man. I I think whether it's Bobby's group or any of these other training groups, I, I think when you find people that are so passionate about paying it forward and promoting the job and teaching our next generation or reinforcing the generation that's here now, like you guys are so special. I think that, that the guys that put in all this time and energy in any of these training groups that are legit and are there for the right reasons. I think you guys are the reason why I think the fire service is as good, if not better than it's been. I really do. I, I believe that it's on the back of guys that are working very hard to help offset mediocrity within the fire service. You guys are offering an alternative to what many have come to know as, you know, proficiency, you know, checkbox and just this is how we operate and we don't do anything above and beyond. And it's us first, them second, that type of mentality. And I really believe that on the, the blood, sweat, and tears of you guys that are out there every single day, all these different training companies and what you guys do, you guys are the reason why the job is well and good. I really believe that. I, I agree. I mean, and, and it's funny because um, there's a guy on my job or retired on my job, and he his name's Tim Adams, and he's probably one of my biggest mentors. He did 30 years in the engine. And um, he never went to the truck, you know, he, and he was a through and through engine guy. And he took something that could be made so simple and broke it down to the most minute detail to make it the best he could make it. And huge part of the writing assignments on the engine and the, a big um, author in our engine company manual. And he would run around with guys like Andy Fredericks and Dave McGrail. And if you even read uh, the book of Andy, yeah. um, he's, he's in the first section that Dave McGrail, they talk about uh, Tim Adams. And I think that a lot of us that kind of came up through this thing are just kind of who've had the opportunity to meet these guys and learn from some of these guys. We're just trying to really keep the things going that they started, you know, 30 years ago. You but know you what I mean? You don't have to. No, no, no. You're right. We don't. So we don't, what, but... so that, so what drives you that? Like, do you, do you feel, cause I ask myself this question sometimes too. I don't have to be doing what I'm doing right now. Right. What fuels me? That's so what fuels West Coast Steve? Like what fuels you to want to do more, be more and and offer more? Uh, whew, that's a really good question. I don't think I've ever really dove that far into. I, I mean, one, I, I. I just love the camaraderie of the job. I mm -hmm. love that we can af affect people's life. And, and to be honest with you. I like the challenge of the fire service and then I like being able to kind of share my knowledge to other people's who I'm sure are going to go through the same hard knocks that I went through, but at least might have a little bit better of a understanding of it beforehand. You know, um, I, I, one thing about the fire service, you know, coming in at 18 years old, like I did was I came into a job with a bunch of grown ass men and I had never been around anything like that before. So I took a lot of, a lot of beatings early on in my career and I remember getting getting treated pretty shitty. And so now as a teacher, I look at some of these guys who have who are, you know, might be a little bit of smart Alex and have attitudes and stuff like that. And I, I kind of cling to them a little bit because I'm like, I was that guy. And, and there was a lot of people who 
didn't said I couldn't do it or said I wouldn't make it. And, and, you know, I, I had a lot to, uh, had a little chip on my shoulder of kind of prove them wrong. And so like, I, I like those, those younger guys that are a little, you know, a little fool of themselves and a little mouthy and, and, and aggressive because I think a little bit now we're seeing a little less of that. We're seeing guys that just wanted, you know, eight to eight and out the gate kind of guys. And so if you kind of really show those younger guys who are aggressive and a little chippy and stuff like that, that they're part of something bigger and, and what they do really matters and you give them some purpose, you know, they'll, uh, they'll really grasp onto this thing and keep it running. Well, yeah. I, I, and that makes such sense to me because we started this conversation 40 minutes ago about you telling me how your mom made you go to Uber city for a 24 hour tour because you were headed down the wrong path. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I, I think that there's such a, I, you know, when I, I, the reason why I pushed you on that question a little bit was I was, I was curious if it does stem back to what was done for you through your experiences early on. But, you know, you saying that you came up early through the system and you didn't have some of the best experiences, that is so freaking common, man. There are so many people, whether it's career or volunteer, that don't have a good experience early on and it sets the trajectory of their career and and i mean go ahead i'll tell you my my first fire chief uh his name's steve hart he came from southern california departments to us uh, my first department and he told me something that i've always kept with me and it was um take everything that you like that people have done for you and do that for everybody else and take everything that you didn't like that people did to you and never do that to anybody else. Yeah. And I, I've just kept that with me through my time. And, um, you know, and, 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 this, and being a, a little bit older now, uh, seeing younger guys come on the job, I understand why those guys treated me the way that they did. I don't, I'm not like mad about it that they did it because they, they had, I was a, you know, I was a punk ass kid. I get it. You know it. what I mean? Um, but I, I, what I will say is that um, when I get those guys in my firehouse, I really try to focus that punk ass energy into something positive where these guys, some of them just kind of wanted to write me off, you know? So Listen, I, I would say that's the change. Yeah. I mean, some of our best firefighters are the hardest hitting dudes outside of the firehouse too. I mean, these are, these are guys that go hard and, and so harness that, and make them promote the job, make them love the job and understand the job and how they do fit in. I think the one thing we can't do and we have to be very careful of is sometimes we dismiss people basically on how they act or who they are when they come in the door. And, uh, you know, I had one of my one of my best friends to this day when he walked through the doors of the fire department, he had such a bad reputation from people that said, you don't want this guy. And I said, well, maybe he needs us. I said, maybe, maybe you don't want to spend the time on him, but I said, let me make my own opinion. I brought this kid in, and we mentored him, and he needed the structure of the fire department to figure out where he needed to be in life. And to this day, this guy's crushing life. He needed the firehouse. It wasn't so much that I needed them. He needed us. We uh, just had to I, give I was, him a shot. I was exactly the same way. And so – you've been in the fire service a long time. And so like, I, I would say when I came in at 03, I was one of the first generations of guys to ask why. Yeah. Um, and that was very different for the guys that I was dealing with at the time, because when they came through, it was just, you just did what you were told and that's how you did it. And so being, I am a millennial. I know it sucks or whatever, but it is what it is. So, uh, so I would ask why, you know, why do we do this? Why are we doing that? Why this way? Why that way? And a lot of guys took offense to that as if I was questioning their, right. their knowledge when I was just trying to more figure it out for myself. And, and that's one of the big, biggest things. And in, in when I teach is um, I really want to answer that question. Why? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people, um, a lot of younger people who don't have the mechanical aptitude, they've never been in the trades or anything like that. You know, if you actually answer that why for them, uh, you know, they'll have a better understanding and, and hopefully keep that knowledge with them forever. Yeah, I mean, I, I firmly believe that we have to work harder and a little bit different than how we used to to keep educating and moving forward. But there's nothing wrong with that because through through change and through decades of change throughout the fire service, 
people are picking up new people are doing less of certain things and more of other things and so you know as technology advances you know we're getting away from spark plugs and mix right two cycle right so like why would a 24 year old kid know any of that when he never had to before but why do we vilify him for that why don't you know we have to work harder to educate him and explain to him how an internal combustion engine works or how to change or how to take it apart and disassemble to reassemble after cleaning like these are things that we now have to teach that we didn't have to teach before but why is that any any worse than anything else we have to teach that i don't understand yeah and i agree with that and and you know and and if you look at it from the flip of the coin right like Today, the the penny pushers want Excel spreadsheets and PowerPoints right. to to, uh, to get what you know get your grants or this or that or whatever, and that's where those guys will shine. You know what I mean? If you put them in those positions to go, hey, set me up this PowerPoint or whatever, and you know they can build that for you. And it 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 is funny because you know coming into the fire service at eighteen, I I didn't work in the trades. You know, I did. I worked in a bait and tackle store and a in a you know in a far era a tractor shop sweeping the floor. But so everything I learned, I learned on the job, yeah. you know? And, and so I build, I do fire behavior for my department and I was building a, that the dollhouse uh, right. for the, for the burn. Well, ours is four foot by four foot by seven foot. It's a condominium essentially. <laughs> and, uh, and so we were building it at the firehouse the other day and, and I had all my tools there. And, and again, I didn't learn any of this stuff except for on the job. And we had some, younger guys and i go hey man you ever use a skill saw nope i said get over here yeah you know use this jigsaw use a skill saw here's a drill here's a nail gun you know and we're we're going through this thing and this this young guy had never used any of this stuff and it it just there was so much learning potential and instead of going you know get out of the way kid i I gotta get this done like taking that time to to let him just go through it you know what i mean And, and figure it out that's where you get your most impact, right? Is like a moment like that. That's probably one of the biggest moments that kid has had in a long time on the apron floor of the firehouse or wherever it was being done, right? It's like, whoa. Yep. Like these are things that like I know of, I've seen, haven't had the opportunity to do, but now I do. And it's somebody that is allowing me to learn because it's the only way we're going to teach our people is giving them opportunity. If we, if we limit their opportunities, they're never going to learn. No, I mean, absolutely. And, and and that's like, there's so many things that as, as a, a guy who's been on the job for a minute, take, we take for granted that we don't even re- remember that it was an actual skill to do those things. So, like you know, that. like yeah. we'll, we'll talk about VES training and it's like, you know, Hey man, swing this, uh, we, we call it a Z hook. I know you guys call it a New York hook, right. so swing this hook on the ladder and break this window. Um, that's a skill swinging a hook while hanging on to a ladder is a skill. And if you haven't practiced that skill, you know, guys have it in their mind, like, well, I'm just going to climb up this ladder and swing this hook and this right. window is going to shatter and that, and it doesn't go that way. Mm-hmm. And, and then the whole operation is kind of put in behind because now you're trying to figure out how the hell to get this done. And so there's all these little intangible skills that we just take for granted that you have to show these people. You have to actually put them in that position and go, Hey man, lock your leg in this way, not like the full lock-in method. All right, now see how you can just, you know, rip this hook and knock the shit out of this window. And and so all those things that I think people just look at as like, well, you just do it. Well, no, that's an actual skill and there's a way to do it. And being able to break it down and explain it will make everybody, you know, in the firehouse and in the fire department a better firefighter. Yeah, I mean, it just takes it takes time and patience, and and I think that's with anything though. And I think what we lack more of now than ever is patience, and uh, and I think that that is to a detriment of what we're doing in the fire service is the 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 lack of patience that we have for one another, for the public, for our administrators, for the chiefs. Mm-hmm. Right? I I just think it's it's one of those things that you know nobody wants to wait for an answer or nobody wants to see how something's going to turn out they want to know now they lack patience it, it's funny cuz um i was talking to some younger guys the other day about uh, when i first uh, made the truck and i was telling them you know my senior fireman he he never he never did house he never did housework and he never did any medical reports i did them all and they were kind of like, you know, that's that's BS that this guy's got some more time. So he doesn't think he has to do that. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
I didn't say he didn't think he had, he, I, he wanted to do it. I wouldn't let him do it because every day after lunch for the first year we were together on the truck, he would take me out in the app bay and he would pull a tool out and he would break it down piece by piece. And he didn't have to do that. That's, that's just something that he took out of his own time to do that for me, to make me better. And in respect and showing him that I appreciated that I took care of those other little BS things you know, that again, he didn't feel he was too good to do, but I just wanted to do those for him to show him that I appreciated what he did, where I think some guys think, well, he's got to get up and do that. No, that's not the case. If that person's out there giving you their time, giving you their knowledge, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's something that they want to do. That's, that's not required of anybody. And the fact that you recognize that, because I think part of the problem is, is like, I, I find, I don't, I'm trying to find the right words for this. And I spoke about this actually earlier today where people recognize the efforts of others and appreciate it. I think too often now we just expect things. There's this level of entitlement and I don't mean entitlement. Like everybody deserves everything. Like not that entitlement, but entitlement, like just that every, like it should be expected. And you know, you want everything done for you. And that guy should be teaching me this and should be teaching me that, but nobody offers the return of saying like, well, I'm going to pick up this guy's, uh, medical reports so he doesn't have to do them, but show him appreciation and respect. I think that's what's lacking. And I don't know how to coin that or, or figure that out, but that's, that is a, uh, I don't, I almost think like that's an inherent trait that you either have or you don't, where you recognize the efforts of others and know how to appreciate it and then pay it back in a way that represents an, a, a symbol of appreciation for what they're doing for you. I think like I just watch the expectation that people have for one another, and I go, "You, I, we don't have to do that for you." Like we chose well, to do that, right? You know what I'm I, saying? I think, I think that it's 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 like anything else in the fire service. It's passed down from one generation to the next, and 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 some of the things that you know I see going on is that there's a lot of people who want to be friends. I yes. want to be friends with these guys, and and like. My thing is like it, it, my job is super young right now, and you know, with me only being eight years here, uh, a lot of the some of the firehouses I walk into, I'm the senior firefighter in the in the in the station, and and when you know, it's not that I don't want to be friends with these guys, it's just that I I want to tote a line, right? Like, and because I and it's because I want them to tote the line when they're in my position. And I want to continue the traditions and the culture of this organization because culture and tradition is all we have. Yes. You know, so I, I it's like guys, you know, are like, oh, man, you, you're you're you know, you're busting this guy's chops and da, da, da. it's like, yeah, because I'm trying to teach him something. And then when he gets it, I'll give him praise. You know what I mean? Like, I'll be I'll be excited for him. I get you it. know, but but I'm not going to sit there and just be like, it's OK, buddy. Don't worry about it. You know, like better luck next time. Like, because that's essentially, uh, accepting mediocrity. And I, I just don't believe that. Well, you know I, I mean? yeah, I speak about this a lot. I'm actually going to speak about this Friday night at a, at a conference that I'm speaking at and it poor leadership leads to entitlement because what happens is with poor leadership is if we're not keeping our people on track and on point and being honest in their job reviews or task reviews, and we're not holding them accountable, it will build up over time, and that individual thinks that they're doing an okay job because we're not reprimanding or correcting them along the way. And then mm -hmm. one day it bubbles over, and you go, man, you're out of line. You know, you've been doing this for so long and blah, 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 and it finally boils over, and the manager boils over on the firefighter, and the firefighter looks at him and goes, how come you've never said anything to me? Yep. Right. So poor leadership leads to entitlement because people become entitled because they don't know that they're not supposed to be. If everything is sunshine and rainbows and every boss wants to be every firefighter's friend, then they can't walk that line when they need to be a boss. And they're creating a false sense of security and achievement for the firefighter. And that's going to lead to significant problems down the road. I think it's happening all over. Yeah, well, and, and, you know, the other thing, too, is, like, the delivery because, like, there are people out there who are scared to, to have adult conversations with people for fear of reprimand. Right. You know, and so, what you know, I've had many of adult conversations with many of junior firefighters in that bay. And, and one thing I'll tell you about those, fire, those, those conversations is I don't swear at them. Yeah. I don't belittle them. Right. I just explain to them, like, listen, man. 
you're not doing the right things here. You're, you're doing X, Y, and Z, and that's not good. And let me show you how we can get you to success. We can make you be more successful. And if you, and I always tell guys like, what's this guy going to do? What's he going to complain to the chief? Hey, Steve said that he wanted to see me do better and I was making mistakes and that, you know, he wanted to help me fix them. The chief's going to go, you're telling on a guy that's helping you get better. Like, exactly. you know, like it's, it's not going to go anywhere, but if you, you know, if you walk out there and you, you, you know, rip him up side and down the other, right. Then yeah, you're probably going to get, you know, you're probably going to get some, a little bit of trouble. So it's all in the delivery of how you, you tell these people, but again, it has to be said, like, here's a good example. I had a, a, a probie who was, uh, he was up early making the coffee and doing the thing. And we had got an early run. So I came walking by him and he's watching his phone at the table and he's, he's watching a, a TV show. And I'm like, I, that's like unbelievable to me. So I kind of <laughs> turn back around and I, I look back and I'm, I kind of confirm. I'm like, yeah, this guy's watching a TV show on his phone right now at the table. And so I, uh, walk away and have a cup of coffee. I come back and I, Hey, Hey buddy, come out here. And, uh, talk to me real quick and and so i go hey man uh you uh you watching a training video or something and uh no uh what are you watching and he tells me what he's watching and i go all right well do you think that's like appropriate and he and he, he, he try to kind of tries to dance around it well i'm normally the only person up right now and it's my you know i just try to have a little my time and, da, da, da. and i so i you know i just explained to him like hey man essentially what you're doing is you're telling every guy in this firehouse that went through probation that didn't do what you just did, that everything we did was for nothing. Like we could have just sat there and, and been on our phone and not cared. And, and, and we, I just tried to explain to him, like, you have to live up to the standards that everybody before us has set. And he very much understood that. And obviously he never got on his phone at the firehouse again and everything was good. But again, I could have just, you know what? this kid's a, a zero and I don't even care. He's going to be out of here in a couple months. Anyways, he's going to be somebody else's problem and let it go. And to him, that's now an acceptable behavior because he saw everybody walk by him and see him doing it. And nobody said anything to him, Yeah, you know? And so as long as you address the point and you do it in a professional manner, you know, but you still have to address the point. Uh, I think, you know, you can keep things moving in the right direction. Yeah. And I think it's important to be protective of what's been laid before you. And I think that that is something that we need to do a better job at is that I think we're losing touch with that foundation that was built before us. And I think departments are losing track of their culture and tradition and that we allow simple little things like that to snowball because if the senior guy walks past the junior guy doing that and it's not acceptable behavior to the ones that came before and yet we just kind of turn a blind eye to it and walk past it, you've now green-lighted that behavior to be there in perpetuity and it will erode the foundation yeah, forever. For what, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's yes. So, go ahead. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's just, I mean, we've kind of hit a lot of topics, you know, but I mean, that's the thing with, in my organization, I think we, we do really live on our culture and our traditions because we take a lot of pride in being, you know, one, the, the state capital fire department and two, the oldest fire department. And so, you know, I, I think that we do a, a good job better than most of really kind of toting that line and, and saying like, this is where we're going to stand. And if you want to be on this side of the line where we're, we would love to have you, we're more than happy to, to help you get there and do whatever it takes. But if you're not willing to make that commitment to, to be the firefighter, we expect you to be, then this probably just isn't the organization for you and you should go somewhere else and who, be successful there. Who wants to be on a losing team? <laughs> no, right? I mean, I played what? high school sports, college sports. Like, nobody wants to be on a losing team, right? No. And so to be on a winning team, it takes work. It takes discipline. And so, you know, it's the protection of that foundation from which you were built will allow you to succeed in, in, the, in perpetuity. And, and I think that's the most important thing here. And to, to be in a department and to recognize the importance of the foundation before you got there, Steve, and now you're doing your part in protecting it. We need everybody on the front line to do that, to protect the institution for which we work. It's super important. Absolutely. And I mean, uh, you know, like I said, I just, I'm, I got to come up behind some great mentors, the guys that, you know, uh, that, you know, wrote articles in fire engineering and traveled the country and taught. And like I said, I, I just was fortunate to come up under some of these guys and, and see it and, and, you know, and 
the other side is having a, a, a boss and an admin that backs that culture and believes in that and truly, you know, wants to uphold that, that culture, you know? And so that kind of has set us up for success in the long run. Now, don't get me wrong. We have our problems like everybody else, sure. you know, but we, we just, uh, we believe in these things and, and we, we stick to them. And, and, and the other thing is, you know, I think if, if you're doing, if you're seeing a fair amount of fire duty, you want to know that people are going to be in position. They're going to do the right thing. They're going to make the right choices. And, and all that goes back to the firehouse life and, you know, making sure that, that, that junior guy is up early, making the coffee, putting the flag up, getting the paper, emptying the dishwasher, you know, like all those minute things, you know, add up to doing bigger things and being in position and making the hold, making the cut, you know, feeding the hose, all those things, those, those little minute things on the fire ground that can make a difference. You know, if they, if they can't do it at the firehouse, they won't do it on the fire ground either. So, well, and with that, my man, that is a very strong way to end this episode because it matters. It all matters, man. That was, that was great, man. Really. I love it. I love talking about imposition. I love how the little things affect the fire ground, how we operate and carry ourselves within the firehouse affects the outcome uh, in our output on the fire ground, man. And it's directly relatable. I couldn't agree with you more. That's fantastic. Steve, man, thank you so much tonight. It's been an hour already. It goes quick. Um, Yeah. But, man, I'll tell you, man, a lot of fun talking about about shop tonight, man. I appreciate you joining me. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, of course, man. And you're always welcome back. Anybody that's on the show has an open invite to come back anytime they have something they want to chat about or if you got another topic you want to hit on. You're always welcome back, but uh, I look forward to seeing you again. Uh, I don't know what the future holds for you coming back this way anytime soon. Uh, Westchester. Oh, you the are? 20, the 24th, 25th, and then uh, FDIC in April. So, Oh, good. Well, I'll definitely. Uh, for all you listeners out there, go to Westchester. <laughs> Westchester PA Ecker Fire Tactics is doing an event in March, right? It's March? Yeah, March 24th, 25th, taking it to the streets. Yeah, and it's uh, if you haven't seen the program, uh, you definitely get your worth out of it. It's certainly a program that boosts confidence in street smart firefighting for sure. So, Steve McLean, Sacramento, California. Thank you, brother, for joining me. Appreciate you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Good. Stay right here, and I'm going to sign off the podcast. I'll come right back to you, buddy. Okay. Everyone, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. I can't even speak. It's been a long day. Steve McLean, Steve McLean, Sacramento, California, eight years in Sacramento, hard-hitting fireman, moonlights with Eckert Fire Tactics, promoting the job and moving the job forward. So do me a favor. There was a lot of great topics talked about tonight, so take it back to your firehouse and talk about it because when we talk about the job, we are making the job better. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. Fire Radio.